the Lord be with you and also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. In virtual worship, our sanctuary empty, we gather together this Sunday in July 2020. The liturgy, music, and homily are offered in the praise of God for our virtual congregation through WBUR 90.9 FM and our listenership now and later at WBUR.org. We welcome your prayerful and material support, your written or emailed responses, your self-selection of forms of leadership, ministry, and service in our midst. And as the spirit moves, and when and as it is again permitted and safe to do so, your presence with us here in worship. Today's service of worship includes the greeting, prayers, and sermon new this week, along with music and liturgy rebroadcast from earlier services. Although our nave is empty, the music is full. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Almighty God, the fountain of all wisdom, you know our necessities before we ask and our ignorance in asking. Have compassion on our weakness and mercifully give us those things which for unworthiness we dare not and for our blindness we cannot ask. Through the worthiness of your Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Please be seated. Generous God, we gather in your house to praise you. The opportunity to say thank you is a blessing. We thank you for those times of plenty. Let us never take those times for granted in our own work ethic instead of your grace. As the choir sings the Kyria, let us now pray.
If we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God. A lesson from the book of Genesis, chapter 28, verses 10 through 19. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. He came to a certain place and stayed there for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place. And he dreamed that there was a ladder set up on the earth, the top of it reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending it. And the Lord stood beside him and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and to your offspring, and your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. And you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And all the families of the earth shall be blessed in you and in your offspring. Know that I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So Jacob rose early in the morning, and he took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. He called that place Bethel, but the name of the city was Luz at the first. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
A lesson from St. Paul's Epistle to the Romans, chapter 8, verses 12 through 25. So then, brothers and sisters, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption. When we cry, Abba, Father, it is that very spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if in fact we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory about to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly while we wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. For in hope, we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what is seen? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please join me in saying verses from Psalm 139, 1 through 6, and 13 through 18 with the antiphon.
Lord, that you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from far away. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, O Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is so hard that I cannot attain it. For it was you who formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearful and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works that I know very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes beheld uniform substance. In your book were written all the days that were formed for me, when none of them as yet existed. How weighty to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! I they are more than sand. I have come to the end. I am still with you. Let us stand as we are able for the singing of the Gloria Patri and the reading of the Gospel. reading from the Gospel according to St. Matthew, chapter 13, verses 24 through 30. Praise to you, Lord Christ. He put before them another parable. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to someone who sowed good seed in his field. But while everybody was asleep, an enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and then went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared as well. And the slaves of the householder came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? Where then did these weeds come from? He answered, An enemy has done this. The slaves said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he replied, No, for in gathering the weeds you would uproot the wheat along with them. Let both of them grow together until the harvest, and at harvest time I will tell the reapers, collect the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. The Gospel of the Lord. Glory to you, Lord Christ. One summer, some years ago, our family made a three-day trip to Maine. We stopped in Kennebunkport and swam in the ocean, That day, the newspaper carried a little book review of a short book called On Presence. The review noted that the book had been written by Ralph Harper, an unknown Episcopal priest in Maryland, who also taught a religion course at the local college. The book won a prestigious prize. The author was quoted as saying, among other things, after preaching almost every Sunday for the past 31 years, I know how hard it is to say anything honest 
I stuffed the review in my shirt pocket and finally bought the book, though nine months later. On Presence is about the presence of God. Harper writes, we have too short a time on this earth to pass up any chance to find words and images to live by. I believe almost everyone is capable of being moved by some person, place, part of nature, or individual work of art. Of course, there is instability and incoherence in and about us all the time. There is also the inexhaustible store of being to keep us permanently in awe. This summer, we are not traveling neither up nor down the coast. Perhaps you are doing so, and if so, many blessings to you. But the matter of presence, or the question, is freshly alive in the season of plague, the season of power and its policing, the season of presidential reckoning. One asked, just where is God in all of this? To the few verses of Holy Scripture accorded us this summer morning, we may portage that question of presence, of divine presence, of God, of God's presence or absent presence or present absence during pandemic and pandemonium and political reckoning. Our scripture affirms an elusive presence, oddly lodged in remorse, in scrutiny, in longing, and in contest. All of our lessons today explore this question, the good and honest question of faith, the question of presence. But they answer in a scriptural key, in a biblical tongue, in a holy honesty, in a strange way, a strange answer coming out of the heart of the strange world of the Bible. Sometimes presence appears in remorse, in hindsight. From your campfire days, you will remember Jacob's Ladder. The book of Genesis is about to move from creation and covenant onto providence, or at least to the naming of the sons of Jacob, the 12 tribes with which the rest of the book will be consumed. But first there is the matter of Jacob himself. Jacob dreams of a ladder ascending to and from heaven. Jacob hears the promise of promise. He awakes and rubs his eyes and realizes he had not seen, he had not known. I knew it not. In this place, with a baffling dream and a rock for a pillow, here, not in comfort or completion or conquest, but here, alone at night and in a dream, there appeared a strange presence but he sees so in retrospect, in reflection. He sees after the fact. And with more than a tinge of remorse, he realizes what he had missed. Surely the Lord was in this place, but I knew it not. In case we are prone to think this a cheery tale, the lesson schools us otherwise. For Jacob, we are immediately apprised was afraid. In hindsight, in retrospect, in remorseful recollection, so that was it. Was blind, but now I see. If only. If only we had seen that coming tsunami of a virus for what it was, say, and earlier, say, and more fully and truly, say, and well. Consider in hindsight what you may have missed along the way, a season ago or a decade ago or most of a lifetime ago. Presence, though elusive, presence still. So many are the examples. The Gospel of John has as its main point the ladder up and down to heaven for sure, but more so the utter grief of a congregation that only belatedly recognized just who, just who, this Jesus had been among them. God, divine presence, but elusive, mistaken, mistaken in identity. Way and truth and life, and now we see in hindsight we mistook him. Way and truth and life, we mistook him for so much less. 
The hard truths of the strange world of the Bible include a somber recognition of divine presence, eerie and elusive, but presence nonetheless, seen most clearly in hindsight. Presence? Yes, but known in remorse. Sometimes presence appears in scrutiny, in being known in full and in truth and in person, seeing ourselves as others or another sees us. This is the wearying challenge of friendship, of partnership, of marriage, of employment, and of any long-term honest relationship. You may love the 139th Psalm, as did Howard Thurman and as do I, perhaps more than any other in the Psalter. Usually we hear it, and properly, as light in darkness. O Lord, thou hast searched me, such knowledge is too wonderful for me, even the darkness is light to thee. Yet some years ago, I offered it at a BU commencement, a joyous and happy and celebrative day, in this my preferred sense of it, still. Afterward, a friend and colleague and a veteran lover of the Psalms too came up and said, I heard that Psalm in a completely different way today. In hindsight, I believe what he meant was, thanks Bob for a gladder reading of the verses one to 12, but there is a more sober one too. Think of being so entirely well-known by another, any other. O oh Lord, thou hast searched me. Thou knowest when I sit down and when I rise up. Whither shall I flee from thy presence? A sudden sense of no escape, of being known through and through, of being seen for just who we are, of having no dark corner in which to hide, of having no fig leaf behind which to huddle. Even the darkness is not dark to thee. Yes, there is an elusive presence at the sheer price of being fully known. Is this not one of the great challenges of corona? our full social and cultural exposure to full scrutiny, scrutiny of who suffers and who is healed, scrutiny of who has and has not, scrutiny of who can make easier strides and who stumbles through no athletic fault but for lack and lack and lack. I see your true color. There is for sure a gladness in being known through and through, but there is also for sure a sobering effect to such scrutiny, such an elusive presence in such scrutiny, be it human or divine or both. Sometimes presence appears in longing. Paul names for us the groaning, the groaning of all creation awaiting the revealing of the children of God. There is a hardly a longing or groaning at more of a fever pitch in all of scripture or in all of literature or in any of life than here in Romans 8. Groaning inwardly as we await the redemption of our bodies. For this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. Who hopes for what he sees? We hope for what we do not see and wait for it with patience, patience. Our time waits for such redemption and ours is a hard, a challenging time, yet one within which there is a shared groaning, a communal longing. My friend's seven-year-old daughter at the end of glad -hearted, a glad-hearted family meal as one or another mentioned the virus, the pandemic, burst into tears saying, when is corona going to end? We hope for what we do not yet see and wait. 
with a disciplined patience. Without a vaccine, there will need to develop a semblance of antibody bulk of herd immunity. We need to have a sober mind, an awareness of waiting, waiting, waiting for what we do not yet see and may well not see for some time. This capacity in St. Paul and in the seven-year-old to long and long without yet seeing but still to wait this too is part of the elusive presence. We have a long way to go. But the seven-year-old's groaning is spirited expression of hope, presence, divine presence, though utterly elusive. She awaits a hope, not seen but awaited, as did Emma Lazarus not like the brazen giant of Greek fame with conquering limbs astride from land to land. Here at our sea-washed sunset gate shall stand a mighty woman with a torch whose flame is the imprisoned lightning and her name mother of exiles. From her beacon hand glows worldwide welcome. Her mild eyes command the air-bridged harbor that twin cities frame. Keep ancient lands your storied pomp cries she with silent lips. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free, the wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send these, the homeless, tempest-tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. Sometimes presence appears in contest, in the contention of life. The Gospel of Matthew leaves wheat and tares together sown unto joy and sorrow grown, without yet a final winnowing, without yet an eschatological separation. And here is our condition too, the challenge of every day with decisions to make, small or large, or what appear to be small but are large, and what appear large and are actually small. The challenge of wheat and tares is in the contest of the everyday, for and toward the true and the good and the beautiful. On your prayer list, it may be, you have a place regularly to lift up those near and far who face rigorous, awkward, and multiple daily decisions in a new era. In this contest, we may need traveling partners, allies, those from and with whom to learn. One, David Brooks, wrote movingly this week about such an elusive presence and the contest of perspectives needed to arrive at a better day. It was striking to me as a son of a Boston University graduate who studied here in the 1950s at the time of the high watermark of Boston personalism. To read Brooks use the term personalism without any reference to BU or any sense that the term had a longer fuse than the one he lit under it. Yet perhaps by accident or grace or the influence in contest of an elusive presence, his conclusion came close to home. We will leave quibbles for another day, he wrote. Personalism is about constructing systems where the whole person is seen and cultivated. Schools where a child is not just a brain on a stick hospitals where patients are not just bodies and beds, cities where cops are seen as people, not perps, communities in which each person is seen as a rich interplay of multiple identities, economic systems that allow people to realize their full dignity as makers and earners. Personalism judges each social arrangement by how well it fosters the kind of relationships that enhance the full complexity and depth of each soul. In this contest, we may need our predecessors to lean on. Elmer Leslie taught Hebrew scripture here when my parents were at Boston University in the 1950s. His son, James Leslie, became my chaplain at Ohio Wesleyan, a mentor and model for chaplaincy. He, one of only two chaplains Ohio Wesleyan has had since 1960, each serving 30 years and more. Elmer wrote on the prophets, who themselves needed their own predecessors in the contests of the 8th century BCE. Friends, 
We shall need a biblical grace, tough as well as tender for the days ahead. Let us draw down on our spiritual endowment. Let us draw down on our religious inheritance. It has been done before. A favorite verse, perhaps for you, is Micah 6, 8. He has declared to you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. But Micah drew on the three great prophets who preceded him, Amos and Hosea and Isaiah, finally to craft this magnificent verse, justice from Amos, kindness from Hosea, and humility from Isaiah. And so, drawing on the elusive presence, he could preach to the need of his time. When we ask about divine presence, and how can we not, we may be surprised to hear a response, Jacob, David, Paul, Matthew, that affirms strangely a presence but an elusive one, hidden in, with, and under even the sobrieties of our day, in remorse, in scrutiny, in longing, and in contest. Who would ask for more remorse, tougher scrutiny, unrequited longing, and ribald contest? Yet, of a summer Sunday, in the reading and reckoning with Holy Writ, we are sent their way. Beloved, ask yourself about a moment of remorse, of hindsight. Was there not even there an elusive presence? Ask yourself about an experience of scrutiny, of being known, really known. Was there not even there an elusive presence? Ask yourself about a keen sense of longing, a cry at night, a groan at dawn. Was there not even there an elusive presence? Ask yourself about a kind of contest, struggle and contention for the good. Was there not even there an elusive presence? Amen. Please be seated. 
As we come to a time in our service where, as a community, we lift our prayers and praises to God, I invite you to assume a posture of prayer that will help you to join your spirit in prayer with those around you, whether remaining seated, coming to kneel at the altar rail, or standing as the choir leads us in our call to prayer. Lead me, Lord. to you, Lord God, for all people in their daily life and work, for our families, friends, and neighbors, and for those who are alone, for those whose names and faces we lift up now in the silence of our hearts. For this community, for the nation, and for the world, for all who work for justice, freedom, and peace, and for all the causes and cares we lift up now in the silence of our hearts. For the just and proper use of your creation, for the victims of hunger, fear, injustice, and oppression, for those whom we know and those who are known only to you that we lift up now in the silence of our hearts. For all those who are in danger, sorrow, or any kind of trouble, and for those who care for the sick, the friendless, and the needy, for those whom we know and those who are known only to you that we lift up now in the silence of our hearts. For the peace and unity of the Church of God, for all who proclaim the gospel and all who seek the truth, for those whose names and faces we lift up now in the silence of our hearts. For all who lead us in becoming better disciples of Christ, and for all who serve God in the church. For those, those who have formed us, whose names and faces we lift up now in the silence of our hearts. And for the special needs and concerns of this congregation, near and far, and for all those whose names we lift up now in the silence of our hearts. Hear us, O Lord, in our silence and in our speaking, for your mercy is great. Amen. And now, with the confidence of children of God, we are bold to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, 
but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.
Creator of the universe, whose law we meditate on and whose justice we strive for, use these gifts for the work of forgiveness, healing, and hope, so that we may keep heart for tomorrow. Through the one who embodied hope, Christ, we pray. Amen. support us all the day long of this troublous life until the shadows lengthen, the evening comes, the busy world is hushed, the fever of life is over, and our work is done. Then in thy mercy grant us a safe rest, a happy lodging, and peace at the last, through Christ our Lord. Amen.